for the last several weeks, I've been seeking to create this biblical case before you and by God's grace, um, nurture a greater desire in you and in myself for the oneness that God accomplished in his work on the cross and that he prays for, for us as a church family, this oneness in the truth of Christ and that oneness being expressed in how we love for each other dearly and, and um, carefully and fervently and faithfully. I told you my burden that, that I've had uh, since earlier this summer that I received in a prayer meeting on a Tuesday night that the Lord would have us prepare for the outer mission of this church, that the Lord would have us prepare for the outer mission of this church to reach those outside of us, that he wants to bring people into this church. But the peculiar sense I had was that he wanted us to prepare for that mission by paying better attention to each other and caring better for the inner mission of those already here among us. And I sought, as you guys know, I sought to locate that burden in the prayer in John 17 and elsewhere. And when Jesus says that his prayer, well, he doesn't say he prays the Father, that our oneness would be so real that the world will know that God sent Jesus by looking at us and our oneness with each other. And that our love for each other would be so real that people would have no other conclusion to make that, that, that God loves us and is filling us with his love for us such to the degree that they can say he loves these people just like he loves his son. And that's at the core of God's method for evangelism. It's not the only part of it. And so in the following weeks, we looked at the command of humility in Philippians 2 to consider each other more highly than ourselves and how that's so fundamental to the image of Jesus that we're being conformed to, that Ryan talked about earlier. We're being conformed to that image, conformed over time. And last week, we considered Paul's prayer for, the kind of abound, for this abounding love to come up among us that matures us so that our love for each other, it abounds in its wisdom and its discernment. We know how to love each other, and that leads to lives that produce good fruit so that on the last day that we're all heading towards, that last day when we pass from this life and we stand before God at the judgment, we hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. You loved well. Today, though, I want to spend some time, uh, and, and, and now next week, <laughs> I, I, if you read my prayer request this week, don't know if you read my prayer request, but, um, but if you did, if you read my prayer request, you know, my hope was that this week would be the final one, but as I was repairing, I, I sensed this isn't the final one I, I I'm hoping it will be. Hoping is the important word there next week. Um, but I want to move on to the, the, for lack of a word to put it, the practicalities of how we love each other, like what that should look like. A another way I want to put it is I want to look at the practices and methods in our church family and in our lives individually that are supposed to be expressions, ways that God loves Another word for this is, is our methodology, our methods. <clears throat> so you have a goal in mind, right? And you go after that goal. Well, the way you go after that goal is a method. Our goal is having a church where we love each other sacrificially, wisely, and in the sense that I had from God, it was a pay attention to the flock kind of sense. Um, and there are ways that we go about that. Those ways are methodology. So you'll hear that word a lot probably 
in your life. Methodology, methodology. It's an intimidating word. When I heard it, I didn't know what it meant. It just means the ways you do something. It's the methods. Think about that little part of it, right? And sometimes methodology among God's people is objective and obvious and set in, tone, set in stone. Um, I'm sorry, sometimes, just an analogy, sometimes our methodologies for doing stuff is set in stone, right? So, like, there are certain methodologies that are just very precise. I have a Honda SUV, it's got 2,000 miles, 200,000 miles on it, and I have to change the oil every 6,000 miles with 10W30 synthetic oil. And I have to do that every 6,000 miles. That's the methodology for keeping that car healthy. It's very simple, it's very black and white, that's what you do. Other methodologies, there's a lot more room, right? You have a big principle like, love your kids. And you, as a dad or a mom, you want a healthy relationship with your kid. Well, there's, there's not like a simple formula for that that's set in stone like there is for changing your oil. You, you might set a, week, a, a day at night of the week to spend more time with them, you might uh, try to spend a little bit more time every day. You might, you know, you, you, you got to figure out how that works for who you are, who the kid is, and, and so that kind of stuff's going to change. And in, in God's church, it's like that. It's like that. There are some methodologies, ways of doing things that are more objective, and there are some that are more subjective. And, and I felt like, you know, as I was preparing this message, I want to tell you about my worship experience, was I was very excited to talk about specific methodologies under God's broad commands, like fellowship, friendship. I wanted to talk to you guys today about care groups, why we do that, why they're important. I wanted to talk to you guys today about triads, this idea that I've had for, I, keep, I like say like two seconds of it, but I talk about it every single week for two months. And as I was walking over this issue of methodologies, I realized like, I'm way more excited about my specific, precise methodological ideas <laughs> than the very specific methodologies that God gives in his word, which are important. Let me back up a second. Friendship is imperative as a method for being a healthy church. But I want to get in the nooks and crannies of how that goes. Well, God has some very specific methodologies, too, for what he wants for a church, like baptism, the Lord's Supper, <laughs> elders, members. And I didn't want to talk about those things. <laughs> I wanted to move on to my exciting, new, fresh ideas, you know, or the relatively new ideas like care group that I want to explain how we can, why we should keep doing it. And I just felt the Lord wanted me to stop and say, those are important. Do not ignore my methodologies <laughs> that can sound rote. They can sound old-fashioned. They can sound archaic. They can sound boring but they're there for a reason. And the first thing we should ask about our methods is not what do we like and what are our opinions and what's gonna get our church to grow numerically the f or even what's gonna make our church feel nice. The first thing we should ask is what methods does God care about? Like how does he feel about it? There's this crazy story in Exodus. It's one of my favorite stories because it's just so crazy. Um, and I might have told it to you before, but bear with me if you don't know it. It's in Exodus 4. I believe it's the beginning of 4. Moses has just received God's encounter at the burning bush. And he's just heard from God that he is to go to Pharaoh and do these miracles and, and be a means of God setting all the people free. I mean, it's incredible, you know. He, and he spends a long time talking with God about it. And he gets his mission. And then he goes off 
<laughs> and then almost the very next thing that happens in Exodus is it says, now God set about, or God was about to, kill Moses. <laughs> and, and what goes on behind the story is, Moses had not kept to the commandment of circumcision in his family. So he hadn't seen that his sons were circumcised. And God was gonna kill him for this. So Moses gets his son circumcised, which really upsets his wife because she thinks it's a brutal practice. And you never read about that again between God and Moses and Exodus. Then it goes right back to Moses going to Pharaoh and Moses struggling with his people to get, I mean, it's just, it's just like a footnote. It never comes back again. It, it literally is like a footnote in the chapters and chapters and chapters of Moses' life with the Jews. But there it is. Look for yourself. It's in Exodus 3 and 4. God's going to kill him because, and I just thought, it's not because I want to tell you that if you don't become a, a you know, church member, God's going to kill you. It's, it, it's really just about how quick and how easy it is for us to think this thing doesn't matter. Like this is, oh, God said this thing, but it's just, and, and, and to change it so that like, well, really what matters is what does God think about it? Like, does God want me to do this? Does God not want me to do it? You know, and so we get in trouble, you know, as churches when we put our opinions about how churches should be above God's stated commandments about how church should be. And, and I think there's a lot of room, by the way, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of room and a lot of necessity for our opinions, for our thoughts, for our well-thought-out, skillful decisions about doing, God doesn't tell you how to do, um, God doesn't tell you how to do fellowship. He didn't say it has to be care group or coffee or large group or triad. He doesn't, you have a lot of room to do it. However, just do it though, right? Yeah, right? But he does tell us to do the Lord's Supper. And it's pretty clear how we're supposed to do that. And that we're supposed to do that. And so I, I think we can get really, I can get really excited about something like care groups or triads and, and just think, oh, we gotta do the Lord's Supper. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but that can happen to me. And I think it's just wrong. It's really awful. So I wanna go through in this first part of methodological approaches, I want to talk about what does God say clearly, specifically, is supposed to be part of our experience in a local church? Your experience as his disciple. Like, what's, what's clear? And then we'll move into what's broader and what has room for a lot more different looks to it, but, but has to be there. Did, did all that make sense? Give me some nods if it made sense. Otherwise, I'll just keep going. Thank you. So I want to start with I want to start with eldership. Now, eldership, I talked about Hondas and I talked about dinners, right? Or <laughs> times with your family and getting your oil changed. I think eldership is more in the oil change category. Like, it's an objective, clear, how you do it can be different, but you, God commands elders at a church. In every church, Paul and Barnabas starts and acts. We're told they appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed elders to the Lord, the Lord in whom they had believed. In Ephesians 4, God gives gifts to the church. He gives out evangelists, apostles, prophets, teachers. Now, people have different understandings about what, what's apostle mean, what's prophets mean. But, but what is clear from the rest of Scripture and how church has worked out, that God gives the gift to men to pastor or shepherd the church. And that's what's in Ephesians 4. First Peter tells elders to pastor the flock of God willingly and without lording. An elder is to pastor God's flock there's only one part, it's Ephesians 4, where that office is a noun, pastor is mentioned. Every other time it's mentioned in the epistles, it's 
unless it's speaking of Jesus, the, the chief shepherd of the church, the chief pastor of the church, it's, it's the verb, pastor, 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 Peter, Paul, commanding uh, the leaders of the church to pastor the people. And it's always referring to elders. So elders and pastors are really, semantically, there's a, our, we believe they're the same thing. And, and, and you might recall that, that, um, that on the night of Jesus' death, he prayed to God that his people would be sanctified in what? Sanctify them in, I hear it, truth, right? And then he says right after that, your word, thy word is truth. And so central to, and why Jesus prayed this, is that God's people need to be shepherded with God's truth. That's how we're sanctified, that's how we're set apart, that's how we grow. It's not the only way we grow, we grow by taking that truth and living it out. But we're, we're, we're to be fed truth. And so God wants his people to have shepherds who can feed truth to his people through his word and who themselves are also seeking to live out that truth. They're not supposed to be just feeders of God's truth but lovers and livers of God's truth. And that's why the qualities needed for an elder are almost all character-based. If you look at the qualities and the requirements for an elder in, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, they're almost all character-based there's really two that have to do with aptitude, and they're important. The two skills that have to do with aptitude are, one, elders to be able to, they're, they're supposed to be able to teach. First Timothy 3, Titus 1, they must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that they can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound doctrine sounds very boring a lot of times to us, Sound doctrine is the heart of God's heart for his people and then being protected and cared for by sound doctrine. It goes in the category of something that we cannot care about, God cares deeply about. And, and being able to teach it, to help people understand it and live it out. And one of the overlooked commands in the Great Commission, I think there, there's an, an overlooked command sort of in my experience in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. God commands his people to be converted, baptized, and then he says they're to be taught all I have commanded. And that is the task an elder is called to carry out or to see is carried out in every church is that all that Jesus commanded in his words and in the words of his apostles is heard, is understood is taught and carried out. Those are Jesus' words. That's what he said to do in a church. But also, elders must be able to steward or manage or lead God's people. That's another command for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. He must be able to manage or steward God's people. When you hear that word manage, if you're like me, you can feel like it's a business idea. You're a manager. It feels very cold. Who wants to be managed by your pastor? <laughs> Yay, how was your time with your pastor? Oh, he really managed me. It was great. I feel so managed at this church. Why do you go to Living Hope? They manage so well. You know, we should not think of it like that. It's not a business term. It, it's, it's, it's servant leadership. It's stewardship. It's the management that comes from a mom and dad with their children that they love. Paul says of elders in 1 Timothy 3 that they must be able to steward or manage their own families well. And then he says, if they can't manage their own families, if they can't love their wives, if they can't draw out of their kids respect and obedience, not perfect, but, but that, that's not, th then, then how can they manage, how can they love, how can they call the church to obey God, he says. If they can't manage their own families, how can they manage the household of God? Now, 
there's room to be careful. And, you know, I was talking with, with, um, with Jim about this yesterday. There are some families where there's a kid who has, or many kids who have special needs, and their management requires a lot extra care, and their behavior has a lot of extra challenges than others. But, but it's there in the Bible, and we need to be careful about it. I, I need to be careful that if, if I get to a place in my family where I just can't, I can't manage my kids, <laughs> and, it, you know, a lot of grace, right, for, for each other. For me, I'm at, please give me grace. But th- there has to be some, and God doesn't give us, it looks like this, it looks like this. I think he trusts the Holy Spirit and wisdom of a loving church, a loving elder team to help a, a, a parent, pastor, understand when you know, he just needs to step out for a season to care for his kids, or he needs to, duties reduced, or he needs to take some coursework, or maybe he just can't, you know. Um, I don't want to get into the nooks and crannies of that, but that's, that's what God is looking for. He's looking for that kind of loving care that a father has over his children to be brought to bear from an elder to a church member. And and I want to be careful. There's a difference. I'm not your dad, and you're not my kid, right? Mike is not your father. But still that idea is there. It's love. it's, It's stewardship of your soul. It's care for your soul. I want to manage, you know, my meeting with, with, um, with Michelle, you know, by caring for her soul, the way I would want to ca- be careful about my son's soul. When we met, we had a conversation. So there's that. That's their job. And I want, I want to make two applications for us about elders. This fall, we're going, this is the first application, we're going to begin a, a servant leader training meeting kind of thing. We're, we're going to try to create some soil for you men to explore ideas about leadership, servant leadership. And, and we're going to meet uh, Saturday mornings once a month. And we're gonna just going to go through uh, categories of, of the truth and categories of church care. Here they all are. The gospel, prayer, discipling, sound doctrine, evangelism, membership, discipline, missions, and elders. We're going to go through these books together try to take one a month. These books are like 100 pages of tiny pages. They're really like elaborate tracks, so don't be intimidated. The pages are quick. And Kindle says you should get through this book in two hours. And um, I think that, um, I I just wanna like, please don't be intimidated by these books. One book a month, it's like two pages a day. It's it's not hard work, but we do want you to, to read this book. Um, we're going to try to make this a place of ministry too. Like, this isn't an academic experience of s- simply intaking knowledge. At each meeting, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to seek the Holy Spirit and His gifts among us, prophetic words and healing. We're going to spend time caring for one another's souls in the struggles you have. So we're going to try to make this a two and a half hour event once a month with enough time to really minister to each other and experience the kind of tender care that we want to give to the rest of the church. So if, if you are a person who's wondered, might God ever call me to be a shepherd? Or if you just want to grow in understanding God's heart for the church, what the gospel is, what prayer is, what evangelism is, I, I just want to encourage you to come and be part of this. Um, and I... I, I Yes, this is a place where we want to hopefully develop and help develop elders, but it's, it's really a place where we want men to receive help in understanding how to serve their brothers and sisters in the church. 
Um, so that's what we're going to do. And I, I think, just as an aside, well, I'll, I'll save that aside for later. So please, if you're interested in this in any way, please come and talk to me. There are, there are a few who will probably just knock on your door and say, would you please come to this? But, um, but anyone who has a heart to ask the question, God, how do I grow in being a servant, servant with the truth, a servant with love? Please come and, and be part of this. Second, I just want to update you guys on Mike and Jim. Mike has been an interim elder, Mike Steele, at our church for over a year and a half now. Before that, he led our church through an adjudication process that took months and months and months. I mean, I think they, it took, I don't know, four months, and then the after effects of it were another four months. So he has been at the center of trying to care for our church through some of the most challenging times I've, I've ever seen a church go through and the hardest stuff I've ever been through as a member of a church. Um, his steady mind, his calm heart, his kind heart has led our team as he's presided over our team as chairman through tough waters. He, and you know, Mike's been doing so much else. He's been doing sound. I found him doing coffee this morning. He's led worship. Uh, he's come to prayer meetings. He's helped with benevolence issues. He's, he leads a care group. Um, and so Mike carries a lot of freight, and he gets no money for any of this. Um, so Mike is going to continue as an interim elder right now um, as we, 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 we transition into new seasons, but he'd like to seek permanent elder status. We'd like him to seek permanent elder status. So, yay. Mike, you, there's that. So uh, over the next several months, I mean, his love for the church and his character have been on view for years. Over the next few months, he's gonna be completing more like theological stuff. He's gonna complete a theological assessment that we have for elders. He's gonna complete the audit of a class on biblical counseling from CCEF. He's gonna teach the church in a couple of contexts. Um, he's gonna provide a couple of contexts, we will provide a couple of contexts where you guys can interact with him about his walk with Jesus and his heart concerning our church. Um, and there's some other stuff, there's uh, some other stuff he'll be doing, but but please be praying for Mike and, and please be asking God to help him see uh, how he can um, put his hope in the Lord as he thinks about longer term eldership in this church. He needs your prayers. He needs your prayers. Uh, I need your prayers. You all need my prayers too and, and I am praying for you but, but man, uh, there's a target on our backs you know, when you're involved, a man or a woman is involved in Christian leadership of any kind. There is a target, and, um, and so please be praying for him. Pray for, pray for Donna as she leads the Bible study, and Holly as she leads a community Bible study uh, for teens. And um, Well, I just put it this way. Everybody should just be praying for everybody here, <laughs> you know? Uh, with Jim, uh, we just want to update you on where the process is with his elder selection situation. I'm super excited to tell you that everybody loves Jim. Um, his... Uh, both the character assessment we did months ago and the do you affirm as an elder has been overwhelming. Um, I think we're missing three votes, but every favor, every vote's been in favor. I think there was one abstention because the person just felt like they didn't know him super well. Um, but uh, so Jim's final thing is finishing up this theological assessment that he's been doing or that he's had for, for a while. So um, when he gets that to us and we review that well, then we'll be able to make a final vote and let you know. I, I think it's, 
you know, I want to be careful not to count your chickens before they're hatched, but I think Jim's going to do fine. Um, he's already turned in the draft of the theological assessment, so we just got to review it. Um, Jim's area of focus right now is he's continuing to lead a care group. He's going to keep doing that, and he's also helping Chris with CM. Um, so please be praying for Jim as well. Um, when you pray for the church, pray for the elders of the church. Both these guys, one of the things I love about both these guys is they're both committed to be with the flock. You know, an elder is a shepherd, and you can't shepherd the church that you're never around. If, if your shepherding consists only of getting up and preaching on a Sunday, and then you go home and you don't interact with the church, I hope there's a lot of other elders to care for the church, because I think otherwise, you know, you're going to be in trouble. Um, but they've both been leading care groups for ages and are going to continue to do so. Um, and uh, so I'm super grateful for their place as, as care group leaders. That is a great perch from which to know people in the church and be with people in the church. So next thing I want to talk about in terms of what, what God commands in his church is um, a little more implicit than explicit, but membership. Is there any less glamorous subject than church membership? Who gets excited when you hear that today's sermon is going to involve church membership? I can't wait. Who went to last year's church membership conference at, in Florida, you know? Like, <laughs> church membership 2019, freedom, explosive worship, amazing ministry as we talk about church membership. You just, you'll never see that in Charisma Magazine, you know? Church membership 2019, revolution, membership revolution. I think I've done enough of that. <laughs> I'm starting to <laughs> enjoy this too much. But really, I mean, there, and you know what? The truth is there's nowhere I can find in the Bible where formal church membership, the way that we often think of it, the way that we've historically thought of it, is, is in the Bible. Signing forms, coming to classes. That's not pack, unpacked like that. When the Bible talks about members, it assumes that you're there, that you're known, and that you're knowing, and it assumes you're filled with the Holy Spirit. By virtue of being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're a member of the body of Christ, and therefore you're a member wherever you go of his church. And those are all true things. But listen, everything we just said about elders, which is, comes from real scriptures, and we'll talk about more, it, it's really impossible for a church to be a church with elders, which is what a church is supposed to be in the New Testament, if the church doesn't also have members who know their members. <laughs> he, listen to Hebrews 13, 17. It may, and it'll make this really clear as we talk about this. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I could like preach on this so much about how you guys need to make it, our lives a joy and not a grief. That's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to say is elders have to know who the sheep they have to give an account for are, <laughs> right? Let me back up a second too. There is authority in the local church and you see it in this passage, you see it in, in, in many other passages I could go through that elders are supposed to have authority in the church over the flock and that already just is scary and uncomfortable to talk about because it's weird, you know? It just, and people have been abused by that and people are scared to get back in that. And, but let me be clear. The authority an elder has over a member in a church is only the authority to proclaim God's word over their lives. 
The authority an elder has over a member in a church is simply the authority to proclaim and bind them to God's word over their lives. If that word's not being trusted, if that word's not being obeyed, they're called to bring care into that situation, care that is careful and loving and courageous if necessary. But, but in other words, in a sense, elders have the same authority that we all have to bind each other's consciences to the word of God. That's, that's the authority an elder has in a sense. It's the same authority that we all have. But elders are a, a kind of a buck stops here shepherd who, who must, they don't have the option, watch over souls. And who have a, their, their authority is reflective of a greater responsibility that they have to give an account for your souls before Jesus on the last day. And I've said this a couple weeks ago, it's a scary thing and it should be a very sobering thing to think that if you wanna be an elder, you're also signing up to give an account for the members in your church, for the season they're in your church, before the Lord. And I think that's going to be on the last day. Now, watching over your souls, let's talk about that for a second. It doesn't mean that elders are to go through your mail, right? Or, or tell you who to marry, unless you're trying to marry an unbeliever. Like, there's a very, I, what's explicit in scripture is a very passive response from leaders and elders to care for those that they notice are straying, they notice are in terrible suffering. There's not this sense that an elder has to knock on your door every day and find out, did you have your quiet time? Can I see your quiet time chart? And can I look at your tithe sheet? Like, that's creepy. If that's your church, really, I mean, that's tricky. You know, I need to be careful not telling. But, but it does mean that when God reveals issues that are preventing you from following Jesus or issues that are crushing your life to death <laughs> through suffering, that we just don't sit back and let it happen, that, that we get involved to care, to bring God's word, to bring God's love, to bring, if necessary, God's correction, to see that you are shepherded. But consider this, giving an account to God for your souls. How can any elder do that if they don't know if they have to give an account for your soul? Like, an elder can't be the overseer of, your, of the caregiver of your soul, like to, of all Christians everywhere, right? Like I can't care, and I can't give an account for Maybell down at Starbucks with her Bible study. I don't know, is, is she my, how do I know? How does, how does Mike know? How does Jim know who they're gonna have to give an account for? And that's one of the reasons why church membership exists. And, and for you, how can you be ready to follow your elder as the Bible calls you to, which is scary and creepy and weird. I don't, I don't, again, think about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, what does Albert want me to wear today? Pastor Albert, or Pastor Albert, can I buy this Subaru? You know, I, like, I don't wanna be that kind of weird culty guy and you should run with all your strength if, if you see that kind of thing happening. But, but how can you follow your elders if you don't know if they're really your elder or not? Matthew 18 is another example that is not about elders, but it's another example of why church membership is important. Matthew 18 is this whole section on how to care for a straying or sinning believer. And in Matthew 18, there's a little methodology that Jesus says, go and tell your brother if he's in sin, 
If you win him over, great. Do it privately. If he continues to sin, go get two or three others. If you win him over, great. If he doesn't and he continues to sin, go get the church and bring him before the church. Let the church know. And if he won't repent, and the whole church calls him to repent, and if he won't repent, then you have to expel him. But how can you join the church in doing this thing that Jesus commanded you to do? Not just me, but you. You are called to be in a situation where you're in a community such that if someone is in rebellion against God, you are a means of saving their soul. That's from Jesus' own words. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. And read the whole chapter for the context. But how can you do that if you're not willing to be part of a church or say you're part of the church or call them to repent? How can you, if your life gets in big trouble, receive that saving grace that God wants through the church calling you to repent if you're not part of one? Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't, th- these passages break down. Even though there's no church membership application in Matthew 18, you can't do these things logically. They don't work if if you aren't able to say, I'm committed to this church, I'm committed to this community, this community is committed to me, these elders are committed to me, I'm committed to these elders, you, it just, none of those passages work. So yes, there are different ways to do church membership, but it is biblical to belong to a, a local family in Christ and to be committed to that family and to stay with that family and to rebuke the people and to encourage the people. I mean, I go to rebuke because these Matthew 18 you know, these passages, but there's so much more to do with your family in Christ than correct and rebuke. That should be the last things you do, you know? Um, But I'm only saying this because of the the dramatic passages in Matthew 18 and and Hebrews 13, not because I think that our church should be full of people rebuking everybody every day, you know? Um, Anyway, so if you're not committed to a church, pray about it. Like, seriously, pray about it. If you have trusted Jesus to be your savior and you're seeking to follow him as your Lord, that includes following in Matthew 18, following in Hebrews 7, 13. And, and so that means eventually you wanna be part of a local church. It's not perfect, but it's healthy enough that you feel like for, in this season of your life you can be part of it. I love what Michael Easley said to me years ago. He's a pastor at Manuel Bible Church. He says, if you find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll wreck it. <laughs> If you find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll wreck it. I love that. You know, his point is like, no church is perfect. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. But you're supposed to receive from the local church and give to the local church your heart. And, and so um, their heart and your heart. So if, if that's not you, that's okay. If, if you're not ready for that right now, that's okay. Like, like figure out good reasons to not be ready for that and then keep not being ready for it. But if, if, if those reasons can, can be pursued and moved out of the way, then, then make that a goal for you. Um, over the next month and a half, we're gonna seek to set up a time where we can it, back up a little bit. If, however, if you feel like in this church, you're not, you haven't really held up your hand and said, I wanna be a member of this church, and, 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 and that's, tell me about how to do that. Talk to me. Talk to Jim, talk to Mike, talk, about, talk to anybody you see around here that when you say that, they don't say, oh, me too. They say, oh, I'm a member. <laughs> um, and, and over the next month and a half, we're gonna seek to set up a time where we can care for you um, and talk to you about membership. Whether we do it as a big like, uh, class after a Sunday 
or we, we come and meet with you. We're trying to make this as biblically legitimate, but as accessible for you as we can. Um, and, and what we're planning to do is uh, late, um, Octo- late, dis- late November, early December, we're going to try to have an evening um, where we can have baptisms and membership and receive a few people in baptism and, refuse and, and acknowledge a few people uh, as uh, members of our church. So we're looking for dates from uh, New Design, which have a, has a baptismal where we can do that, which leads me to my next couple of categories here of God's methodology for the church. Um, Objective and clear methodologies include the Lord's Supper and baptism. So, in the Old Testament, by the way, how's everybody doing? Good? You okay? I'm I'm still, I'm still having, um, I just want to make sure that uh, everybody's tracking here. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. In the Old Testament, the Lord gave the Israelites numerous rules and regulations for how to live as Israelites. These went from circumcision, which we talked about, to five or more sacrifices, if you break them up right, before the temple, various feasts, what kind of clothes you were to wear, what kind of food you were to eat, when you were to work, when you were not to work, when you should buy from the market, when you should not buy from the market, and and a lot of other rules. I think someone has said there were 614 rules in the, in the Old Testament that regulated people's lives. And many of those rules were the rules we still have, like love your neighbor as yourself and don't commit adultery. But a lot of them were don't put wool and cotton in the same garment and don't eat shellfish. So there were a lot of, a lot of regulations to follow. And these were external actions. A lot of these were external actions that were to set the Jews apart from all people on earth as God's holy people. They were set you apart you know, the whole point of clothing being a certain way or food being eaten a certain way wasn't so much that it, your heart would be pure if you did that. It was to mark you as a set-apart person. Um, there were other aspects to it too, like food and health. But, but God was trying to say through hundreds of years, if you belong to me, you are set apart. And, and here's a way I will give you all kinds of metaphors for how that's supposed to look. Clothing and food and different regulations. Jesus didn't give any of those kinds of ceremonial external observances except for two. He did. He did give two. He gave baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're like me, you're part of a generation or several generations or ages that is really skeptical about structures and organization and outward ceremony. We've grown to to recognize how what someone does on the outside tells you nothing, or the opposite about what's going on on the inside, really. Watergate has taught us that. Scandal after scandal has taught us that. Hopefully our own hearts (laughs) have taught us that through our conviction. We don't have a great deal of honor invested like we might have in the past in institutions and formal structures. When I was a little boy, a man and a woman living together without marriage was still thought to be somewhat scandalous. Um, There were TV shows where that was like a big deal. 
or they had to pretend something was going on in order to avoid being in trouble with their landlord, blah, 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 blah. Thinking of Three's Company. Don't ever watch those shows. But, but my, what, what's so obvious now is like, I'm watching this show called The Flash on CW with my kids, and the, this moment of incredible devotion and the depth of their love for each other comes when they both say to each other, let's live with each other, you know, or she walks into an apartment, she's like, what's this? He's like, it's our apartment, you know, and it's like, oh, yay, <laughs> their love is real now, because they live together, you know, and I, I just think that's kind of the way things have shifted. This week, I heard a song from a few years back with a chorus, by the way, Please don't go look, I mean, I say these words, but I heard the song and then I took a look at a few minutes of it on YouTube to get the lyrics right and I saw some of the video. So don't go look at the video. It's not helpful, but it's a song. It's a song. Um, Beyonce was in a band before she became Beyonce, right? The Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child, right? So it has this chorus and the chorus, my kids started singing it. I don't know how we got to Destiny's Child. Jen, do you know why we got, came upon Destiny's Child? Anyway, we, we, it was there, it was on the radio, okay? So, I, hey, I'm not trying to tell you what music you can listen to, right? I'm just saying, don't, don't like, if you're, a, especially if you're a guy, oh, my pastor says it's fine to watch Beyonce dancing with barely anything on. You know, it's just, that's not a great, helpful thing for many guys. So, but there's this line in the chorus, and it says, if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> Right? You guys know that. If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Right? <laughs> Who said that? Gavin, it's your favorite song. Mark out Gavin. That is his favorite song. Gavin, we have a lot. We, we, we all need to talk to you, brother, after this service. So. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So, but, but we all get that, though, right? Like, even though that show with the flash, like, I wanted to say to Barry, if you like her, then you should have put a ring on it. Like, if you want to live with her, put a ring on it, you know? Like, oh my gosh. We all know that it's easy to enjoy the benefits of relationship without committing to that relationship. Like, I want the goodies, but I don't want to show up when the hard times come along. And we all know intuitively there's something wrong about that. Like, it's false. It's garbage. And God knows that, too. He wants people to be clear and steadfast about their commitment to him and their commitment to each other. And that's why what I'm talking about today are, are methodologies for his church to be healthy. And that's why baptism is important. Going back to the Great Commission, Jesus commands his, di his disciples to make disciples. And he says to them, the first thing they're to do, baptize them, obviously, upon conversion. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And after hearing the Great Commission from Jesus, the very next time we see Peter in active ministry is in Acts 2. And guess what he says to the crowd when they say, what should we do? He says, if you want it, then you need to put a ring on it. <laughs> he says, if you want to be saved, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts reports 3,000 people accept Peter's message about Jesus and, and it notes, and were baptized. After Paul saw Jesus in a vision, Ananias said to him, to the apostle Paul, 
Get up and be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on the name. For 2,000 years, the church has practiced this outward act of obedience to Jesus' command. I do think it's an apt analogy to say it is the act of putting a ring on it. (laughs) Now, I want to be clear about this. Physical water baptism does not save us. There are too many passages to cite that declare in one way or another that we are saved by faith and faith alone. Romans 3.28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. External works do not save us. Faith in Jesus saves us. Your baptism does not make you a Christian. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not believes in him and then goes through water baptism. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. And there are ambiguous texts, but the overwhelming majority of the texts in scripture proclaim to us, we are saved by faith, and faith alone. And yet, Jesus commanded water baptism, and the disciples practiced Water baptism, and that just sounds so cold for me to tell. Even as I'm telling you, I'm just like, they're not getting it. Like, especially some of you guys who are new to us, you're just like, ew, now you're gonna tell me I gotta get baptized, you Bible-thumping weirdo guy. You know, I, I can just feel that growing in your hearts. Like, why all this, why are you coming down on me, man, with all these structures? <laughs> Listen, how do we resolve this? Like, baptism is a way, it is a method that God has given us of saying to him, Lord, I want there to be no question that I believe in you and I'm committed to following you. It's much more than that. It it is a sign though also of a deep spiritual reality that you are affirming has taken place. Your outward baptism is supposed to reflect this spiritual, metaphysical, holy, real eternal baptism that takes place, of eternal significance baptism that takes place when you, in some way that's still not easy to understand, you are placed into Christ Jesus on his cross where all your sins are put away forever and you die with him there and then you rise with him out of the grave to a new life that he's given to you so that you can say, I have been raised with him in his resurrection. My old life has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer who I am, but my new life in Christ is here. In, in Romans four, Paul is trying to explain, there's a great analogy for baptism, I think, in Romans four. In Romans four, Paul is trying to explain justification by faith, which, hang with me here, Justification by faith means that God says you are justified in my sight. You have a right to be my child. You have a right to be with me forever. You have a right to be free of any punishment or any guilt or any blame. You are justified to be my son, my daughter, guilt-free, punishment-free, hell-free, with me in heaven forever. That's what justification means. And it, we, we receive that by faith, by believing God for it. And, and he says, he's trying to explain to a people who are really caught up in external ceremonies to, to make valid their justification before God, like circumcision 
or going to the temple or doing the feasts. He's trying to explain to them, no, it's by faith, it's by faith. And here's what he says. He's talking about their father Abraham, their forefather Abraham. If you guys can hang on with me here, this is hopefully will, will be really helpful for you in understanding baptism. So please try to hang with me. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. John Piper says about this, this text would say by analogy that baptism is a sign of a righteousness, a justification by faith that we have before we're baptized. But this is not to say that it's not important. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus says these words, and I, I would, I just give these words to you because Jesus says them. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Notice Jesus does not say whoever is not baptized will be condemned, but he's assuming that if you believe, you will obey and affirm this by obeying this outward sign, you will put a ring on it. And those wedding vows are a good analogy. If, if you're truly forsaking all others and receiving this man as your husband, if you're truly forsaking all others and receiving this woman as your only wife, then be clear about that. Be clear about that commitment in yourself and before God and before others. So if you haven't been baptized, and you believe that you've trusted in Christ as your savior, please, we want to help make that happen. We want to celebrate that with you and have a big party about it, and that's what we hope to do at the end of November, early December. Um, and if you don't understand what all this is about, and you just feel like, man, I just got here, like I'm, I'm looking at a couple of people over there, and you're just like Chris and me, like all of a sudden like you're throwing all this stuff on me, like don't feel that at all. Like take your time thinking through these things. Take your time. If you're not a member here, you're not baptized here, you are welcome here. We want you here. And we'll take time that you need to talk you through these things and try to figure out whether you really want to follow Jesus or, or not. And th again, that, that might be, for a lot of us, it's, it's, a, um, it's a done deal, so it might feel irrelevant, but hopefully you can treasure now, e even in your heart, your memory of being baptized and say, that day is precious to me in a way that it wasn't because of this incredible message. <laughs> Just kidding about the incredible message part. Last thing, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, commanded by Jesus. We who have been saved have a commandment from Jesus to remember his salvation this specific way. This is what he thinks is important. We might think it's rote. We might think it's perfunctory. But he doesn't. He wants us to remember the most important thing about us this way. Through bread and juice. That, that our sins have been forgiven by the body and blood of the Son of God. Paul says that at every communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that. This is a long wait. It's been 2,000 years. And God knows this is a long wait. 
and each of our lives, it, it can feel like a long wait. God, where is perfection? Where is redemption? Where is... We have a deep need to remember and recall and hold on to the hope we have in Jesus because we haven't fully realized it yet. We walk by faith, not by sight. And in each communion, we affirm to ourselves and to heaven and an earth that we are resting in the death of Jesus on the cross until he comes. We're not giving up. We're not gonna hope in something else. But until he comes, we are resting on him as our sure hope for salvation. And consider the seriousness and the tenderness in Jesus' heart regarding the simple thing of communion that we, we, we have. This was the night he was going to be betrayed and then crucified, horribly scourged, almost to death, horribly tortured to death for us. And he prepares for that just hours away. We're in his heart. You're in his heart. And he gives this gift to make sure we understand why he's about to do all this. This is my body. This is my blood shed for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So all these things we talked about, elders and being part of a church, baptism and communion, Let's, let's fight to treasure these things and, and to take them seriously because these are the things that God wants us to take seriously when he creates a church, when he creates a people, when he saves a soul. These are among the things that are most clear and explicit. Membership is a little bit trickier in the sense that I've, I've talked about it. It's not said this way, that way. But... but I want to, I don't know if you're like me, I'm just constantly looking for the right new thing that's going to, you know, make all your lives better, make this church grow in depth and in numbers and, you know, even this group, you know, this month thing, let's do this new thing and read all these books and put everybody through, you know, fine, (laughs) or not, you know, or don't do it. But have elders that are healthy come to Christ and be baptized. Take communion regularly to remember, like, that's not optional. So as we seek to love each other, let's care about what God cares about. Let's care about these things. Um, Again, if any of these things speak to your heart, baptism, membership, if you're concerned about our elder situation, our elder future, if you want to maybe look into eldership for yourself, maybe it's years away, talk to me, talk to Mike, talk to Jim. We'd love to help you guys. Thank you guys for bearing with me today. We're going to get coffee in just a second over there. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dismiss. Lord, uh, bless your people. Thank you for giving us to each other as a community. Thank you for elders. Thank you for communion. Thank you for baptism. Thank you for these outward signs and methods of being a church and caring for each other. Help us to understand more about what they mean and to treasure them because it's easier for us, Lord, to consider them second to other exciting ideas and things that we might have in mind. Um, and we, we, we ask, Lord, I ask for your blessing upon 
everyone in this room. God, it's been such a, it's been a beautiful morning for my soul, and I pray that it has been for everyone here. May the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.